I did. Always happens. Hey, everybody, how you doing? Good? Good? We have this phenomenon out in Redlands, and I probably have it here too. We're calling it COVID baby. We have 12 people, 12 families that are about to have kids. And there's just like a lot of pregnant women walking around. It's amazing. But it's definitely COVID. Just so you know, Crosswalk Portland is our COVID baby. Amen? Amen. Good job. Listen, listen, um, a few years ago when we were having some conversations with people talking about the fact that we wanted to plant a church in Portland, um, we just didn't think we'd get to this spot. We didn't know what would happen. And I remember that weekend I was coming up to play with Rick Anderson to speak. Rick Anderson was playing up at the hospital their first Friday, I think they called it. And we came up and we were talking to a few people afterwards. We were going to have a meeting with some people and some other people heard about it and wanted to come. And so we, um, we sat down on, on Saturday morning and Patty had flown out. He was looking for a change from where he was. And we just had this amazing conversation with people who were just interested in expanding the kingdom of God in the particular way that we do it through Crosswalk. And, um, and so I remember Patty and I walked out of the house that day just really excited. We were driving up. I was going to go see my daughter in Walla Walla, and his son was there too, I believe, at the time. And uh, so we jumped in the car, and we drove up to Walla Walla just excited and ecstatic about what we believed God might be doing. And, um, and if you've ever lived in that space where God is moving and it's really tangible and it's really palpable and you just know something's about to happen, like that's a really good time. That pregnant moment where things are working, where God is moving. Like even as we said in the song, even when we can't see it, you're working. Even when we can't feel it, you're working. But that's the moment that we were like, man, something good is going to happen. And I'll never forget, this is what I'll never forget, two things. Number one, the conference president, um, Dan Leonard, called and said, hey, can I meet with you guys on Monday morning? I've got some time. I'd like to meet with you. And so Patty and I both changed our tickets so we could have breakfast with him. And as we were sitting there, there was this offer of, Patty, do you want to come maybe and plant this church? I don't know if you guys know how the Adventist system works. Not like that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Just... Not like that. Not with that sort of um, freedom and that sort of um, courage, if you want to know the truth. And it was funny because we were, we were playing it very cool, Patty and I. We were just like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah that'd be really yeah, that'd be nice. Maybe there's something could happen. And then Dan walks off, and we, like, slowly walk around the corner. And then if someone had been watching, they would have thought we just won the lottery or something. Then we're like, yeah. And then we stop and we pray because, you know, we're pastors. Um, so that could have confused anybody who was watching. Um, and then the world shut down. That was Monday. On Thursday, the world shut down. And I thought, okay, you know, we, we like to internalize these things. We like to kind of, you know, anthropomorphize things that happen sometimes. And I'm like, man... Satan must be really scared about what's about to happen in Portland because he decided he was going to try and shut the world down to make this not happen. You know, and for me, it was, for me, it was actually like a, an affirmation. By the way, when I say for me, I mean like two years later, after it's all done, I have hindsight and I go, hmm, that's a real affirmation. We were about to do something. I know the pandemic didn't happen because you guys wanted to get together. <laughs> 
It's a little narcissistic, I think. But because of the hard work that your leadership team has done, because of the hard work that Patty has done, being willing to move across the country, being willing to, to step into your homes, you know, to sit on your, on your porches and, and in your, in your front, front areas and, you know, bring beach chairs to just talk with you and because you all were willing to go and meet in parking lots when we had to meet in parking lots and put masks on and not put masks on and put masks on. And, um, you know, through all this crazy time, you all were willing to step out in faith, not sure what was gonna happen next. You know, not sure if we had a venue we could find and then finding this place and then changes of ownership. I mean, there's a whole lot that's gone on. And here we are a year later, and it's just a year from when we started going weekly. Obviously, this church has been together longer than that, but it's because of your vision, it's because of your courage, it's because of your giving, it's because of the leadership that was willing to step out in faith. Pastor Patty, thank you so much for everything that you've done and your family, the sacrifices that you've made. I just want to honor Patty today if we can. Thank you so much, brother. And it's incredibly gracious of you to allow me to come and speak to the congregation on this year anniversary, but I'm going to take my time if I can. Um, so thank you for that. It's, uh, it's amazing what God is doing throughout all of Crosswalk, and I wish you could sit in my chair sometimes. Um, I wish you could see the phone calls that we have when a, a, a church, like a church that's been meeting for a few years, and they're weary and they're tired, and they call up and they say, hey, um, Pastor Tim, we know that you like to expand the kingdom of God. We like to too, but we're, we're weary, we're tired, we're not sure what to do. Is there a way we could partner with Crosswalk and then we begin those conversations? I wish you could be in the room when that happens because it's such an incredible blessing. I, I love it when someone calls and says, hey, we've been meeting in our house for the last year and now we have 35 people and we think maybe it's time for us to rent a space and start planting a church. This is what's happening in our Woodlands campus in Texas right now. Or when, when Moy calls us up from Australia and says, hey, I've got a bunch of people that just are not sure about church anymore, but they've been watching what Crosswalk is doing and we want to be a part. And then, and then their conference, again, Seventh-day Adventism doesn't work like this, but in a week after they ask, the conference votes for them to be another Crosswalk church and to grow that church in Melbourne, Australia. I mean, come on. This doesn't happen. And, I mean, so I'll tell you about the last conversation we had, which is really exciting. I don't know what's going to happen with it, but I'll let you know. I know I'm supposed to probably not do this until, like, stuff's done, but I'm just excited. So we had these folks reach out to us and um, said they wanted to have a Zoom call. And um, the guy who was setting it up was actually in California, but it was something overseas, and so we're kind of going back and forth. And I'm not really paying attention. We now have our executive pastor, Ron Aguilera, who's down at Redlands, who's an amazing guy, conference president for 10 years, and decided to come back to real work at church. Um, <laughs> your conference president's not here, is he? Um, anyway, so now he's doing the work of God finally in church. And, um, <laughs> He's so happy to be there. Um, so I let him handle all these expansion things now. And, and he says, hey, we got a call tomorrow morning, 7 o'clock. I was like, Ron, it's a little early. And he's like, yeah, but it's not early in Indonesia. Okay. So we get on the phone call, and there's a bunch of people from a leadership team from the only English-speaking church in Indonesia, in Jakarta. 
And they said, we just really want to do a crosswalk church. We're losing our young people. We want you guys to bring someone over if you can. We're really well funded. Um, apparently, there's a few, there's at least a billionaire on their board. Which, by the way, do that. Because <laughs> I was like, you know, it's going to cost a little bit. And they're like, we, and it was, okay, I probably shouldn't be telling you any of this stuff, but it's not being broadcast, so I'm just going to say it. So they're like, well, it's okay. We're, we're sort of funded. We're funded well. And I was like, I never know what that means because some churches think they have a lot of money and they're barely making rent. And some churches think they have nothing and they've got a million dollars in the bank. It all just depends on the person, right? So I said, well, what do you mean? When you say well-funded, what do you mean? And they go, oh, well, we have a billionaire on the board. I'm like, wow. And then I realized that's the board on my Zoom screen. So I start paying way close attention to who. All of a sudden, I'm like looking at what's in the background. Like, is their camera a little nicer? Like, what's going on? Anyway, every time it came up, this one guy was like, and I, I'm like texting Ron, who is, we're on a Zoom call, right? So he's in his office, I'm in my office, because that's how we do things now. It's super weird. And I'm like texting him, like, it's the guy on the left. And then not thinking, his screen may not be set up the same way mine is. So I'm like, it's a guy in the bottom left. And he's like, that's not a guy, that's a girl. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's a guy. And he's like, not on my screen. He does a screenshot. I'm like, oh yeah, not that, but not that person. That is definitely not the same person I'm talking about. It's that guy on the third to the left. And we're like, which it doesn't matter. It's just to see God working that way, to see people go, hey, we want to be a part of this. And so thank you for being a part of this. And we know that it's something new. It's different than church as usual, right? Sometimes you come and you see a screen. Sometimes there's a live speaker. You know, the music's different. It's just, I'm so appreciative that you were open enough to say, hey, maybe this is something that we could find value in. And maybe for some of you, this is the first time you've come back to church in 15 or 20 years. We have a lot of those experiences within Crosswalk. And I just want to say, welcome home. I'm sorry that you felt like you had to be gone for so long. And I'm sorry it took us long enough to get this going. But we're so glad that you're back. Because God has a reason for you to be back in church. God has a reason for you to be connecting with Him. And I believe that God put you in that wilderness for a time so that at just the right moment, when someone in your, oops, sorry, when someone in your life needs God, you're going to be the conduit. You're going to be the bridge to bring them back. And if we can be a part of that, it's an incredible blessing. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you for allowing Crosswalk to be what it is and for working so hard to love well. It does not go unnoticed. And you've become one of our premier campuses, and it's really exciting to come up here. I just have one thing to apologize for. I'm not Sam Lenore. <laughs> Which, we've got to get our scheduling a little better. I don't like coming somewhere after Sam's been there for just one, like there's only been six days before they see somebody else up here. And I know you all love Sam Lenore, because we all love Sam Lenore, but stop it. <laughs> stop it, people love him in weird ways. In fact, one other thing, like we're putting together the preaching calendar for next year, and um, I'm doing it with Ron, and Ron's sitting next to me, sitting across the table from me, and he goes, okay, so um, we need to make sure we get Sam Lenore to preach. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I know. My, my church. Um, and he's like, no, we should probably find what dates he can do first, and then we'll set your schedule. I'm like, bro, you've been here for like a month and a half. And he's like, well, I've heard a lot. I mean, people really want to hear and. I love my brother Sam. I love him. 
but stop it. <laughs> All right? He's too much love in his life. Um, we're in this series called Momentum. And um, as, as I was building the series, we began to kind of, uh, a text began to bubble up to the surface. This guiding text that we have, right? And it, it didn't start at the beginning. I didn't start the series thinking, this is the text. I started the series thinking, series thinking okay, what, how is God building momentum? And how does God do that? How has he done that in our communities? How does he do that in our life, in our ministry? How does God do that? And as I was studying, this text just kind of kept coming up. It's Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And so I'm going to read the whole thing, and then I'll go back to the portion that we're going to be on today. But it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with the endurance the race God has set before us. And then verse 2 says, we do this. By keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. This is obviously how we keep the momentum going by focusing on Jesus, and we'll get to that in the next few weeks. But this week, we're going to stand on this part of the text. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Hebrews 12, 1, that particular portion, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. And um, I travel a lot, and I've got my situation down. Like, I know the bag, I bought an away bag, highly recommend it. I have a Timbuktu, you don't care about any of this, it's very, it's taken me years to figure this out, right? I know where my computer goes, I know where everything goes. I just had to go to Uganda with the chosen um, program that we just did. And by the way, thank you all for the kids that you took. We ended up with 460 sponsored children throughout our network. So thank you for that. That's incredible. Uh, it's amazing. It's amazing, and that program was so cool, right? Because we, you all took your pictures, and then we took them to Uganda. But I had to fly on Emirates. I've never flown on Emirates before. We're going through Dubai. And um, so they said, you cannot have your personal carrying. You have one bag. That's it. You can check something on, but I'm a seasoned traveler. Checking on is for amateurs, <laughs> right? Let's just admit it. Um, and so I'm like, no, I'm not going to do this. So I had this huge bag with all this stuff in it. And, I, you know, going, we were at nine hours in the Dubai airport, and I'm just carrying this massive bag with me. No wheels, nothing, just have it on my back. And, like, I was with Pastor Mike from the Redlands campus, our, our discipleship and outreach pastor. And he's young and runs triathlons, and he's got this big bag, and he's fine. And I'm, like, every 20 feet, like, <laughs> we need to stop. And he's like, how old are you? I'm like, shut up. I am your boss, and he's like, I don't care. We're on a trip, and you're old. And I was dragging this thing around. It was horrible. It was horrible. Um, I've only once in my life traveled with no baggage at all. And I don't know if you've ever done that, but you need to do that sometime in your life. When, and I mean, when I say no baggage at all, I mean now, I suppose, just, just your cell phone, nothing else. I was in, we were in Finland. We were doing a one project in Finland, and I got a call from the union, I guess it's a union president in Denmark, and he said, hey, I'd like to talk to you tomorrow, but I can't get over to Helsinki. Can you fly down to Copenhagen? 
which all of a sudden I feel like I'm some sort of jet-setting rock star or something. I'm like, sure. Um, should I just buy a ticket? And he's like, yeah, just buy a ticket for the morning. Fly in, we'll have lunch. You can fly back by the afternoon. I'm like, this is how it should always be. I'm pretty sure. So I was like, yeah, I bought a ticket. I left all my stuff because I was leaving from Helsinki. I left all my stuff. And I, I get to the airport. They drop me off. And I walk in there. And I literally have nothing in my hands. And I'm walking through. And people, are, look, people look at you differently when you have nothing in your hands in the airport. Because they're like, he's not leaving anything on this plane. And the first thought is, he's a terrorist. <laughs> and the second thought is, should I know who that person is? Because you have, nothing, you have nothing encumbering you. You're not dragging anything along. You're not wheeling that thing that makes all that noise. You know, you're not doing any. You're just existing. I didn't even have headphones. It's like a 30-minute flight. It's not a big deal. But like I walked through, and I walked out of the Denmark, at the Copenhagen airport like, hey, how you doing? It's good. At the end of the day, they're like, we'd like to buy you some chocolate. And I was like, no, I'm not carrying anything <laughs> ever. This is how I forever want to travel. I've considered, like, I'm just going to buy stuff when I get to a place. It doesn't work, but we carry a lot of weight around with us in our lives. Weight that trips us up. Weight that slows us down. What weight do you carry? Because we do carry these baggage, right? A lot of this baggage, sometimes it's, it's issues. It could be from childhood. It could be from adulthood. It could be something that your parents kind of visited on you. It could be some experience that you had. It could be the experience that you had in church. We carry a lot of weight and we burden ourselves with a lot of it as well. Sometimes, you know, sometimes we got to carry baggage. I get that. Sometimes it's erroneous. Sometimes it's perceived baggage that we think we're supposed to be carrying, even though we're not even supposed to be carrying it. But I got to ask you a question. This question is simple. Why? Why do we carry this weight? What compels us to carry the baggage that we carry? Right? Does carrying our baggage around help us to renew like it does when we travel? You know, you've got your overnight kid and that sort of thing. Or does it hinder us? And the Hebrew text here, the text from Hebrews, seems to say you got to get rid of that weight that is slowing you down. But there's a comfort in knowing that we're kind of carrying everything, right? In knowing we have everything with us, our history, you know, our mistakes, our issues, and even our successes we carry with us. So I guess the next question is, how do we strip off that weight that slows us down? How do we do that? And I guess the answer would be forgiveness, right? Forgiveness would be a way that we do that. Forgiveness that we give, forgiveness that we receive, and for the forgiveness that we live within. But is forgiveness a simple word and a simple thing? Interestingly enough, it's, it's a, you know, the Greek word appears 146 times in the New Testament, that Greek word, but it's translated in most of the English versions as forgive only 38 of those 146 times. So it's a complicated word. Considering the entirety of how often it's used to only translate it as forgive 38 times is interesting. Most of all, what we see is that forgiveness used that 38 times in particular was an action rather than a feeling. 
And our contemporary ideas of forgiveness have a lot to do with the way we feel as an emotional state. But in the New Testament, that idea of forgiveness had more to do with actions. In Jesus' first century context, forgiveness had these concrete implications. Right? The Greek word is aphaimi, and it carried this wide range of meanings. But what it really meant was to remit a debt and to leave someone or something as not liable anymore. So when we begin to understand this, we got to ask this next question, which is how does forgiveness add to the momentum God is building in our lives? Why would forgiveness be something that could help build and maintain momentum in our life and ministry? The first reason is simple. As we said, as it would have been in the first century, forgiveness is active. We talk about action, right? We talked about moving the first stone when you have to do something, not, not hating small beginnings. We talked about it's action. Momentum comes from action, and forgiveness is action, and Scripture speaks to it. In Mark eleven twenty five, 25, it says this, but when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. So this means that when you are praying, when you sit down to worship, the call is that you need to go make things right, even for those who have sinned against you, even for those who have hurt you. That means forgiveness is not only active, but it's also proactive, right? Many people, many of us, we go through life kind of collecting grievances, perceived or actual. And, and storing them in our memory, right? This is what I like to call a grudge account, right? Who's in your grudge account? And you all know there's a little uncomfortable laughter here because when I said it, you all went, Joe, right? Or you looked over at them. <laughs> no, you didn't do that. Right? We all have a grudge account. I have one. I don't mean to. I don't want to. I want to forgive. I try to forgive. But I hold on to things pretty tightly sometimes. I think you do too. And by the way, it's pretty comfortable because it's a very miserable way to live, holding on to those grudges. And as you know, misery loves company. So we all hold on to our grudge accounts. And you know what we do? We end up sharing them sometimes. And you know what? We find great joy when my grudge account and your grudge account has some of the same people in it. <laughs> right? Because now we've got something to talk about. We don't open them up to everybody, but once we become friends, we're like, by the way, I, have something, I hold something against so-and-so and the other person. We never say it like that, right? But it comes up, and then all of a sudden we realize what bonds us together is our mutual holding against. So how do you empty a grudge account? I mean, there's a choice that you have to make, right? Not to hold things against one another. And when, when I use the term hold against, it means really resentment to carry something against someone else. By the way, 
Even that metaphor, right? To hold something against someone else, to push someone away, that's killing momentum in our lives. This is what I think Scripture means when it says we are to let go of things that slow us down. Stop holding things against. Which means that forgiveness is the act of releasing. Right? Not releasing the reality of what happened. We get that. Sometimes really bad things happen to us, and we should recognize that. But we need to release its effect on us. But this act of releasing is not superficial or feigned act of erasing or ignoring the wrong that happened. Forgiving is an act of worship. And as such, it's something that is pretty profound. There's a, a really fascinating there's a really fascinating, well, there's a fascinating story, and there's a, a kind of a fascinating follow-up to this story. In South Africa, after apartheid was, was made illegal, um, Desmond Tutu and a few other world leaders put together, leaders particularly in South Africa, put together what was called the Truth and Reconciliation Council. You've probably heard of it, of it right? Where they basically wanted to know what had happened to so many, many people. And so what they basically said is, listen, if you will come forward and tell us what you did, crimes against humanity, really, um, there will be forgiveness. There still may be jail sentences because when you kill someone, there should be a consequence for that, but there will be forgiveness. And they did this very quickly afterwards, and it was profound. The world, I think, I mean, I'm sure many of you heard about this. The world was kind of aghast that people would do this, and there was forgiveness that was given to, you know, police officers who had killed, you know, 10 kids in the town, and there was forgiveness from those parents. It was really, really profound. About, I think, five or six years later, a psychologist, and I believe his name was, I want to say his last name was Cherry, but I looked it up and I couldn't find it. And I know it's not Daniel Pink because that's the guy who talks about motivation and leadership and stuff. So I believe his name was Cherry, but he wrote a book following up. He was a psychologist, following up on those families who had forgiven those people. And it was really interesting. And I think it, it taught me something about forgiveness. It seemed for a lot of those families who had offered that forgiveness just months after apartheid had been banned and, and minutes, literally minutes after finding out what had happened to a loved one, it seemed that that forgiveness happened too quickly for a lot of them. They couldn't process it because even though obviously the pain was acknowledged, it was too quick. So when I say this act of releasing, of stopping holding something against someone else, I'm letting you know that it's, it's a process that takes a while. And that act of releasing has to happen again and again and again. Forgiveness is not easy. It is active, but it is not easy. What I don't want you to walk away from today is the idea of, man, I'm now just supposed to forgive these people that have really wronged me. What I'm saying is ultimately yes, but that's gonna take you a while because profound hurt has a profound healing process. And if we don't recognize that, then actually the forgiveness is too cheap. And real true forgiveness, real true releasing is really hard and really expensive. 
You know how we know this? Because for Jesus to release all the sins that we had in the world, he had to die. It's really expensive. But it is ultimately where we want to get to. But one of the things we do when we release is we recognize that God is the God of retribution. He's the one who takes care of that, however he's going to do that. And so what we have a tendency, what we have the opportunity to do in our lives, to get rid of this baggage that slows us down, to stop holding something against, is to literally give that to God and say, this is no longer my thing to hold. This is now your thing to hold. And it's actually your thing to be responsible for, God, because my shoulders just aren't big enough to carry this, right? It, it says it in Romans 12, verse 19. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God, for the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. This is not our responsibility anymore. And by the way, you know where this shows up? This shows up in Romans chapter 12. Do you know how Romans chapter 12 starts? It starts by saying, listen, I'm going to give everything to you. It says this, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind I will, that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Now, I love the way that it says it in the Message Bible. The way it starts, it says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and just give it to God. And I know that this idea of like, it's really a weird Christian-y thing to say, hey, just give this stuff to God. But let me give you an example of it. It probably didn't hit me until this happened in my life. Uh, my first church, La Mesa Seventh-day Adventist Church in San Diego, great church, had a, had a good youth group. Well, when I got there, there was nobody, and we built it up over a few years. And um, one girl ran away from home. She was 16. And as a youth pastor, that's one of the worst things that can happen, right? A, because you thought you were kind of working with these kids and they were settled. B, because it's incredibly traumatic and now you're doing ministry to the family and you're trying to find this kid and you're worried and they're worried. And so I went with the other associate pastor at the time to this family's house. And, you know, they're asking me, do I know where she went? I didn't know where she went. And they were, I mean, they were broken. And this, this other pastor with me, he said, okay, we need to give this to God. And I'm like, oh, okay, we've heard that language our whole lives, right? Um, that's great. And he goes, no, what we're going to do is we're, we're going to actually ask God to adopt your child. This is no longer your child. This is God's child. And I'm like, is this helping? <laughs> like, this is a weird conversation. <laughs> the family's broken, right? So they're just like, what, we'll do whatever. And so he prayed this prayer that really hit me because he said, Lord, we're going to relieve this family of their responsibility to find this child. And we're going to let that finding be yours. We're going to let that child's safety be yours. We're going to, and he gave, I mean, he gave everything. He even said, like, all the stuff in her room, that's your stuff now, Lord. I'm like, it's still there. I'm, I'm a little too cynical sometimes for prayer with other people. I apologize. I'm thinking, is that weird? And, but I'm watching these parents' faces, and they have this sense of relief. Now, they weren't going to stop looking for their child. They weren't going to stop, you know, securing their child. They weren't going to stop paying for their child. But 
they had this sense of okay, the effect is not ultimately our responsibility. They gave everything. And, and this is one of those stories that like three hours later, we found her. And they didn't say, well, you're not ours anymore. They were just happy that God took responsibility and found that child. Now, if you're cynical, you could say, well, that would have happened anyway. Yeah, yeah, maybe. But it didn't. What happened was we prayed that prayer. The family gave their child to God in the most tangible way that they could think of. And then God gave that child back. In Romans chapter 12, the whole chapter is about everything that we give to God. Right? Everything. It goes on in verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and custom of this world. Like, do something different. This was different, man. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The Message Bible says you'll be changed from the inside out. Recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it, unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level. So we see this, hey, even let revenge go in the context of us giving everything to God. So that thing that you're holding against somebody else, you need to give that holding against to God, right? It's not an act of just saying, oh, well, forget it. It's saying, Lord, I hold this against someone, and it is slowing me down. It is tripping me up. I'd like to give this to you. I'm still trying not to hold on to the holding against, but let me give it to you. But like I said, the act of releasing is not the act of an instant, but rather learn to forgive, to forgive ourselves first maybe, to forgive others in our life, even to forgive God sometimes. I got, a, I got a text message this week from a family, I think they're in Virginia now, and their son, he's 10 years old, and he's been diagnosed with cancer and it has been a rough go. And um, a few months ago in a sermon, I just said this phrase, sometimes it feels like God hates you. And I don't know what else I said, and quite honestly, I don't even remember saying that. It was somewhere in the thought process and something I said along the line. And she hit me up today and she said, I thank you so much for saying sometimes it feels like God hates you because that's how it's felt in our lives. And I didn't know how to release that. She said, how do I release the idea that God's holding something against me? So we had this long text message thread and I happened to preach this that day. And I said, listen, this is what the act of releasing really is even sometimes learning to forgive God when it feels like God doesn't hate us. We know that, but sometimes it feels that way, right? But it, we have to take the time to process these emotions, right? To process these issues and the baggage we carry. And listen, by the way, this is not something we always do by ourselves. Sometimes it's with a pastor. Sometimes it's with community. Sometimes it's with professional help, and I want to encourage that if you need it. Because sometimes walking through those feelings helps you to release and give these things to God. But once you've released these things, what are you supposed to carry? Because we get really used to carrying the heavy weight around us. 
right? We get really used to carrying too much baggage, our issues and all these things, all the things we hold against people. We get used to carrying them. We get used to the walk being really hard. How do you fill your time? How do you fill your heart? What do you fill your hands with? Because sometimes when we, our hands are empty, we fill them with all the wrong things. I'm going to go back to a, just a really like popular text for this because I think it's a simple answer to this question. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. These things aren't heavy. They're a constant source of power for us, of sustainability, of courage, and of grace. And when we drop our other baggage, we can begin to hold these things in ways that we couldn't before. My last story. I grew up in a home where... Um, we traveled a lot. My dad was an archaeologist, and every summer we were in Israel, and like traveling was a thing for us. We loved it. And so I grew up in a home that used travel to justify just about everything. Like we'd be in the store, and my dad would want a new pair of shoes, right? And he'd be looking at shoes, and he would lift up the pair that he wants, and he'd go, Judy, that's my mom, Judy, these would be really good for travel. They're light, they're nice, they fold nicely. I don't know if they're shoes, I don't know if they fold, but you, you get what I'm saying, right? He'd find a shirt and he'd be like, this, this will be really good for travel. Because again, we were professional travelers. We're not gonna check anything in. We needed it to pack small, to not wrinkle, like it was a big deal. And uh, like I remember one time I wanted to buy a pair of Doc Martin boots. Possibly the heaviest shoes ever sold. Right? I'm size 12. Like, they're not small. They're massive. And I was like, Dad, I need those. And he's like, oh, those won't travel well. <laughs> I'm like, where am I, where am I going? I'm 14 years old. Where am I going? He's like, well, we may go to London. I'm like, that's why I need them. <laughs> In London, that's where Doc Martens come from, and there's all the punks, and I want to look cool. And so I'm going to wear them. And he's like, no, unless you wear them on the plane. <laughs> that was the answer to everything. Well, you can take them, but you got to wear them. I'm letting you into way more information. There is a point to this story. The point was, we spent our whole lives trying to find those things that would travel well, those things that wouldn't weigh us down, those things that would get us through the airport quickly, those things that would get us to our destination and what we were trying to do, those things that would not harm us, that would not hamper us. We tried to find those things, and I still do it today. I looked at my 16-year-old son the other day, and I was like, you like this shirt? And he's like, mm, not really. I'm like, yeah, but it would travel well. <laughs> and he looked at me like I was the weirdest person on earth. And I was like, I wish my dad were still alive to apologize for because I'm sure he got that look a lot from me. But it'll travel well. The things that travel well in our life are not resentment. They're not anger. Those are the things that create friction in our lives and the things that we hold against other people. The things that travel well are faith, hope, and love. You know why? Because you keep giving them away to lighten your load and you keep getting them refilled and sustained. And so as you look at the next year, two years, 10 years of your trajectory of this church, you have to ask yourselves, what baggage do I want to take along with me? What kind of community are we trying to create? What kind of home are we trying to build for the people who want to find Christ again? Is it going to be a home where we hold things against? Or is it going to be a home where we let our baggage be faith, hope, and love, and we just keep giving those things away as much as we can? 
because those are the things that build momentum. They are accelerants used by the Holy Spirit to create the kingdom that God wants to see on this earth. And so we use this little phrase, love well, but it encompasses every single one of those things. So my admonishment to you today is simply this. Don't hold something against. Release it and let your baggage be faith, hope, and love. Let's bow our heads. God of grace, we just want to thank you so much. Because you were willing to pick up all that baggage that we could barely handle. And by doing that, you've released us to have to do anything else but carry faith and hope and love. And so, Lord, may we, may we do that. May we find opportunities to show love and grace and mercy and compassion. And, Lord, may we be a community that always seeks to love well, knowing that in that word encompasses all of what you would want us to carry. And, Lord, when the burden of faith gets too much, let us give it away. Or when the burden of love is too much to carry, let us give it away. And when the burden of hope is too much to carry, let us give it away so that others may carry it for us. And Lord, then give us just as much as we need. Pray this in your name, the holy name of Jesus.